again, I'll go ahead and read, and if you want to close your eyes and allow the words of the, of the Lord to wash over you, or if you want to read it in your own Bible, or just read along on the screen, any of those options are just fine. Romans 12 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as, his will, as he wills. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen, friends. You may be seated. Right? What are spiritual gifts? Do you have a spiritual gift? Do you have all the spiritual gifts? Are some of the gifts miraculous? How does a person get a spiritual gift? What is the purpose of a spiritual gift? We're going to spend some time walking through some of these questions and more and using those passages that we just read as the background, as the text that we're going to use as we ask these questions. And we're going to start with the most basic question, and that is, what is a spiritual gift? And I think the simplest definition is, it is a God-given ability for spiritual service. What is clear in these passages is, these spiritual gifts are given by God to us for others. And even as I say that, that really gets into the second question I'd like to ask, and that is, what is the purpose of a spiritual gift? Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of bringing glory to God and serving others. What is it that 1 Peter chapter 4.11 said? It said, all of these gifts have been given in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All the gifts are given for what purpose? To bring all glory and exaltation to Jesus. And so, if I'm ever operating in a gift of teaching and all attention and glory is brought to me, I'm using that wrong. If we're ever operating in the gift of faith and calling people to prayer, and all attention and glory is about the power of our praying instead of the goodness and graciousness of the God who answers, 
then we're using that gift wrong. Because every gift is designed to bring all glory and exaltation to Jesus. And one of the ways that God is most glorified is when we use the gifts he's given in order to serve others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each has received a gift. For what purpose? Oh, if they'd only tell us what the purpose is. Yes, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Why has God given us a gift? So that we'll use it to serve each other. And not to serve according to the understandings of the world where we serve whatever want a person might have. No, we serve in the way that God has called us to, to draw people closer to Jesus Christ and to help them become more like Him. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says that the purpose of using a gift is in order to build up the faith of others. God has given us spiritual gifts so that we can serve others by helping their faith grow, helping them know Jesus all the more and become all the more like Jesus. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Right? It's to bring glory to God and to serve others. When I was a young pastor, many, many years ago now, I served at a church, and as I looked around, there were a lot of people who weren't serving. And in seminary, they taught me that the primary issue, if people aren't serving in a church, is that they don't know their spiritual gift. Help them identify their spiritual gift, and then they will serve, and all of your church's serving issues will go away. And so I began to go through the process of trying to help people identify their gift. For years, I went through the process of trying to help everybody in the church identify their gift. And you know what? It it didn't solve our issue. It didn't solve our, our serving issue. Because helping people identify their gift doesn't get at the heart of the matter. I now believe that the heart of the matter wasn't that people didn't know their spiritual gift. The heart of the matter was that they didn't love God in a way that caused them to want to glorify His name and serve others. That's the heart of the matter. And so now I recognize if there is a serving issue, The way to solve that serving issue is secondarily to help people understand their gift. It is primarily to call people into worship of the living God. Because when we are in worship of the living God and in love relationship with Him, we can't help but flow out of us in a way that brings glory to God and serves others so that they will know Him all the more. And so if we want to be a church that is more about serving the primary action we have to take is to call people into greater and greater daily personal worship with the living God. Because when we come before His throne, we end up in that place like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, where we say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm overwhelmed by Your glory. I'm overwhelmed by Your majesty. Oh, You're so good. And so we recognize the purpose of spiritual gifts is to bring God glory and to serve others. I want to do that. How do, I, how do I get one of these spiritual gifts? Is there an application to fill out? Is there a waiting period? What, what do I need to do here? Right? We see that this, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given based on His desires and His will. 
1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Any spiritual gifts that are given are given according to the will and desire of the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says that we are to greatly desire spiritual gifts. Yes, greatly desire them because the greater our gifting... The more glory we can bring to God and the more we can help others to grow in their relationship with Christ and to know Him all the more. So yes, we eagerly long for greater gifting, but we also recognize the gifts are given and apportioned out by the Holy Spirit based on His will and His desires. Now who gets one? Uh, Does every disciple of Jesus get one? Only super disciples? Do you have to be a Christian for five years so you're vested in the program? What does that look like? These passages clearly teach that everyone who is a follower of Jesus gets a spiritual gift. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit as each has received a gift. That means you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Put another way, God has given every person who is a part of His kingdom spiritual gifts so that they can exalt the king all the more and so that they can lift up their fellow subjects to know him and seek after him. That's beautiful. All of us are given these gifts. How many gifts are there? Oh, goody. Right? Now we get to the challenges. How many gifts are there? One of the things that we see in the New Testament that was evident even in the passages that we read is that the lists of gifts that we see in those passages, or even sometimes individual gifts are listed, like singleness, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, is listed as a gift given to us by God. Right? There are these different gifts and gift lists given, and none of them are the same. As a matter of fact, you may have noticed the lists we read were quite different. What do we make of this? I think what we make of this is that God's primary desire for His people was not that we would have a single completed list of all of the spiritual gifts in a text, or else He would have given it to us. Instead, God's desire is to give us illustrations or examples of the kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit can give and and then encourage us to use whatever gift we've been given in order to serve Him. So we see... All of these these different gifts. Well, if none of the lists are complete, which we see because they're all different, then is it possible that there are gifts given by the Holy Spirit that aren't listed in the New Testament? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's possible. Right? None of the lists are complete. And I would also strongly caution us against making up our own spiritual gift that we don't find in the New Testament. Strongly caution us. Uh, I was one time having a meeting years and years ago at a different church with a woman who had been asked by the worship pastor to stop playing the piano on Sunday mornings and instead play the piano in a smaller setting. She was not happy about this. She saw it as a demotion. And she said to me that the worship pastor was denying her the opportunity to use her spiritual gift of congregational piano playing. 
right? That, that was the gift that she made up, not piano playing, no congregational piano playing. And this is why I would caution us against ever making up our own gifts that fall outside of the New Testament text because we tend to do so based on our own wants and agendas. One helpful, um, one helpful list here is seen in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. It's very simple. 1 Peter 4 says, there are gifts for those who speak and there are gifts for those who serve. Right? We might think of those speaking gifts like uh, prophecy, teaching, exhortation. We might think of those serving gifts like administration, uh, mercy, those kinds of things, helps. But 1 Peter 4 says, let's not even get into all of that. There are spiritual gifts where God makes a great impact in people's lives through their words, and there are spiritual gifts where God makes a great impact in people's lives through their acts of service. What is true in your life? That's the next question. How do I determine my gift? Isn't that the question you've been asking for the last seven minutes? Matt, when are we going to get to this? Can, Can we figure out how to determine my gift? This is often where we begin to talk about spiritual gift inventories. And if you want a spiritual gift inventory, I have one I would be happy to give to you. But I would actually like to share with you a couple of ways I think that are better at determining our spiritual gift than sitting down and taking an inventory. And the first is this, jump in and start serving. This was my wife's strategy when we first got married at the church where we were. She just jumped into all sorts of different ministries and started to serve to see where God would use her the most in all of these things. Just jump in. See where God uses you to make the greatest impact in the lives of others. Matt, what if I jump in to an area that isn't my primary gifting? Oh, man, you guys. What if you serve the Lord? Build other people up in an area that's not your primary gifting? Wouldn't that be awful? I I think that if we jump into an area where we are serving God and others and it isn't our primary gifting, that is not wasted time. That is kingdom time. And God uses that to build us up and to strengthen us and to give us greater discernment about the future. I would contend that if you stood in an ice cream shop today and you'd never tasted ice cream before, and there were 20 flavors behind the counter, and you wanted to know which one was your favorite flavor, the best way to go about that process would be to try each and every one. Wouldn't it? Because at the end of that, you know which one is your favorite flavor, and you got to try all of that ice cream along the way. And the same is true when it comes to serving with your gifts. Jump in, start serving, lick all the flavors of serving, friends. And in the midst of all of that, you'll determine the area where God uses you most to make an impact for his kingdom, and you get to serve in all of those delicious ways along the way, right? Jump in and start serving. Second, think and pray about how when you are walking in the Spirit, you most naturally respond to a need or challenge that somebody faces in the body. Right? How do I determine my gift? Well, it may be when I'm walking in the Spirit, the most natural way that I respond. I'm not talking about when we're walking in the flesh. Right? Oh, that person has a need. That's too bad. I've got five episodes of this show on Netflix i got to catch up on. See ya! 
Right? I might be walking in the flesh at that point. Don't pay attention to that. But when you are walking in the Spirit, when you are prayerful, when you are loving God well and you're motivated by that, what naturally flows out of you when there's a need or a challenge in the body? If someone faces a need or challenge and your first instinct is to gather other people to pray because you know there is nothing greater you can do than go before the throne of God in order to help with their situation, then maybe you have that gift of faith that we just talked about. If someone faces a need or challenge and your first instinct is to watch their kids or make them a meal, then maybe you have that gift of helps that we just read about. If someone faces a challenge in their life and your first instinct is to approach this person that you know and help them to see how their sins for the last few months have led them into that challenge, then maybe you have the gift of prophecy. Because that is precisely what the Old Testament prophets did for Israel. Your sins here have led to these consequences here. How do you respond to the need in the life of others? Can help us determine what our particular gift is. Well, if I, if I know what my gift is, how long do I get to keep it? How, how long do we, do we get spiritual gifts? Are they for a moment? Are they for a season? Are they for a lifetime? Yes. Maybe. I don't know. I, I want to settle in here on I don't know. The scripture isn't particularly clear about this. It gives us some images that may indicate that it's for a longer season of time than just a moment. It doesn't do a lot of good in order to figure out how is a hand to relate to the eye if the next day you're going to be a foot. And so there does seem to be some indication that we may get these for a season of time at least, but the scripture is not clear on this. Here's what the scripture is clear about. It is the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts as he sees fit according to his will. So if the Holy Spirit decides to give me a particular gift and then at some point heighten that particular gift and then take that gift away and give me an entirely different gift for a different season, that is completely up to him. He apportions the gifts as he sees fit for what is best. Are the gifts supernatural? Are the gifts supernatural? Yes. Right? They are an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so by definition, every one of these gifts is supernatural. We are not talking here about the natural gifts that you got when you were physically born. We are talking about a supernatural gift that you received when you were spiritually born. Now sometimes, many times, that supernatural gift that God gives us when we are spiritually born connects with those natural giftings that we got from birth. And so a person may be a, a wonderful natural communicator over the course of their non-Christian life, and then they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they are given the gift of teaching. And now those communication skills that they have are only heightened by that gift of teaching. And there is a new empowerment so that as they explain the Word of God, people understand it well and want to live it out in their lives. And their supernatural gift is working hand-in-hand hand with their natural gifting. Or, or maybe a person is naturally empathetic through, through nature or nurture. And as they are naturally empathetic, they come to faith in Jesus and they get the gift of mercy. 
And now that empathy is only extended. And they can act in new ways in the mercy and forgiveness of God towards people. I also want to acknowledge that there may be times when the Holy Spirit gives a person a gift that doesn't coincide with the natural giftings that they had. It may very well be that a person was naturally empathetic their whole life, wasn't naturally empathetic their whole life, but because of the needs in the body, God decides to give them the gift of mercy, and all of a sudden, it shifts the way they see everything. Or a person comes to faith in Jesus, and they are given the gift of healing. That wasn't there before Christ. And so it is distinctly possible that he'll give us gifts that are outside of the natural giftings that we have received. That last illustration that I used actually invites the next natural question, which is, are some of the gifts miraculous? Yes. One of them is called miracles, friends. Right? One of them is called working. This should be a dead giveaway to us when one of them is called working of miracles that some of the gifts are miraculous. Uh, tongues, prophecy, healing, miracle. These kinds of gifts operate within our world in a way that is different than the normal operation of day-to-day life and can thus be termed miraculous. Thus be termed miraculous. Now, I want us to understand this is true of all of the gifts, but think about it particularly with the miraculous gifts, that just because the Holy Spirit has given someone a gift doesn't mean that they are constantly operating in that gift or that it is at their beck and call. I think of Agabus, right? someone who operated in the gift of prophecy within the book of Acts. We see him prophesy on two different occasions. That doesn't mean that when Agabus sat around the dinner table with his family, all he did is speak prophecy around the dinner table. Right? He, he spoke it when the Spirit gave it. When we see people speaking in tongues in the book of Acts so that people can understand them in a language that they don't naturally speak, it isn't like they speak in tongues and then they speak in that for the rest of their life. No, they speak in it for a short period of time as a portion by the Holy Spirit and then they go back to speaking their normal language. We see the Apostle Paul operating in the gift of healing multiple times in the New Testament. But we also see plenty of times when the Apostle Paul can't heal people, starting with himself in 2 Corinthians 12. His friend Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. His friend Trophimus in 2 Timothy chapter 4. These names are hard to pronounce, so I'm going to stop there. But you get the idea. When we think about these spiritual gifts, we shouldn't understand it to mean that it is now, that person has the gift, therefore it's at their beck and call. Or therefore, it is always and constantly operational as the gift is given according to the apportioning of the Holy Spirit, so its use is given according to the apportioning of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see throughout the Scriptures. Now, when it comes to these miraculous gifts, I want to recognize that there may be people who are a part of our gathering this morning who don't believe these miraculous gifts active today. I want you to know that you are welcome here. We love having you here. We love having you as a part of the body. But I also want you to recognize that the people who are primarily teaching you on Sunday morning don't share that same understanding of the scriptures.
that our understanding of the scriptures is that these gifts are alive and active as the Holy Spirit wills and apportions. And because that's our understanding, I want to encourage you when it comes to these miraculous gifts, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Are you familiar with this phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? I used this with a 20-something last week, and they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so old. So old. <laughs> like, oh, I never felt so much like a grandpa. Well, back in my day, we had this phrase, uh, and it's about uh, something valuable that is surrounded by a bunch of yuck. And you want to get rid of the yuck, but you don't want to get rid of the valuable thing that sits in the midst of it, right? You don't, you don't get rid of the baby that is surrounded by all of its dirty bathwater. But you want to recognize and get rid of that dirty bathwater. Uh, there are people who, when it comes to the miraculous gifts, recognize all of the fraudulent behavior, all of the lies, all of the abuse that surrounds these miraculous gifts. And because of that, make a division within the gifts and say, these are no longer for today. They, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are others who are so thoroughly infatuated with the baby of all of the gifts that they refuse to acknowledge that there's any dirty bathwater anywhere. And, and I just want to encourage us to recognize and discern all of the dirty bathwater that is out there, but not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And friends, there is a lot of dirty bathwater. A lot of dirty bathwater. I think of uh, Costi Him, who I follow on social media. If you don't, he's a great follow on social media. Costi Hin grew up as a nephew to famous television faith healer Benny Him. And as a young adult, he was saved and then grew in his faith and became a pastor of what is a Bible-believing, gospel-oriented church and has since written on a number of occasions about all of the lies, deception, and abuse that were a part of his uncle's faith healing ministry and others like it. So much dirty bathwater. I think of Kenneth Copeland who, if we were to write all of the false prophecies of Kenneth Copeland on the screens, the screens could not contain. Well, but I, I think particularly of 2022, when Kenneth Copeland announced that by the end of 2022, the worst plague in modern history would come upon the world. That, that it would make COVID look silly and like nothing. But ultimately, that the Holy Spirit could shield you from that plague if you were willing to donate to his ministry today. I think of all of those internet false prophets, those YouTube false prophets that were sent to me around the 2020 election. Right? Anybody else? I, I think of one in particular who said God told him the specific day, January 16th, 2021, when the Supreme Court would overturn the election results of the 2020 election. And that prophecy had 1.2 million likes. Many of those likes had come in after January 16th. 
what? I think it was somebody around P2 Barnum that said, there is a sucker born every minute. And sometimes believers, we've got to be careful, it's not us. Are you kidding me? So much dirty bathwater. I think of the famous clip of the guy on TBN who decided to teach the entire studio audience how to speak in tongues. And he started by telling them to empty their mind of all conscious thought, right? the problem in and of itself. And then to begin to just speak in long vowel sounds, occasionally interjecting a B or a D sound or an SH. Make it sound like Hebrew, he said. And then he began to yell at them, faster, no, faster, no, do it faster. Eventually ending with the phrase, if I had a gun to your head, you would do it faster. So much dirty bathwater. I think of how I've experienced this in my own personal life. When I was in early elementary, I went to an Assemblies of God school. It was the only Christian school in the small town that I grew up in. And when I was late in my second grade year, the principal called all of the second graders into the assembly room and said, today is the day that you're going to learn to speak in tongues. Handful, perhaps knew Christ, maybe most didn't, but today was the day when we were going to learn to speak in tongues. And then we were given instructions fairly similar to those given on TBM. It wasn't long after that that the principal began to open every morning assembly at the school by giving all of the announcements in gibberish. And different teachers would stand up and speak gibberish back at the principal. And all of us in kindergarten, first and second grade, looked around going, what is going on? So much dirty bath water. What, what, what is that? What are all of those experiences? Those experiences, all of those things I just described, are people operating in ways, they're claiming is the work of the Holy Spirit, but actually runs completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit himself has revealed to us in the book that he has inspired. All of this is the work of the enemy to put dirty water all around. And in my situation, it may very well have been the enemy working through people in order to damage the spiritual lives of young people. I have experienced a, a lot of dirty water. And yet, friends, I, I don't want to throw the baby out just because there is so much dirty bath water. Uh, I experienced a lot of abuse and lies around the idea of tongues, both as a young person as well as someone in ministry. And so when a friend of mine that I went to seminary with came back from the mission field in the South Pacific on an island there, and recounted to me an experience that he had had where he went with a set of missionaries to meet a tribe for the first time and during that time had a few minutes where he spoke and had no idea what he was saying 
And only later would the missionaries who knew that tribe's language tell him that he was actually speaking in a language that they could understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ. My initial reaction was, are you sure? Right? All of that dirty bathwater rises up in those moments. And I go, are you sure? When a fellow pastor here at church two weeks ago told me about an experience that a friend of theirs had had on the mission field where they were able to speak in a language that they'd never been trained in for a period of time while they were doing work and then couldn't speak in it again when they returned from that work. My initial response was, are you sure? That's not a bad question. Are you sure? But I could tell in my heart, all of that dirty bathwater was putting up a barrier. And it took me time in order to prayerfully say, Lord, is it possible that what is being experienced here is your gift of tongues that is assigned to unbelievers and communicating the message to unbelievers in these other languages? When someone that I know well returned from a missions trip and had a similar experience, only it was their ability to understand a language and interpret a language they'd never understood before or didn't have any training in. Again, what was my reaction? Are you sure? Right? But it was worth fighting through that dirty bathwater in order to experience faith that God can work and do these things because his word says he will work and do these things. When I was called to be a part of a small group that prayed over a 25-year-old young man who had been diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, cancerous brain tumor, when I was on my way to that prayer meeting, there was so much dirty bathwater to fight through. There was the dirty bathwater of the Benny Hins of the world. There was also the dirty bathwater of all of the Christian prayer meetings I have been a part of, where people were more focused on physical healing than they were on spiritual growth. And all of that was combining to bring me to a place where the bathwater was getting in the way. And it was so worth fighting through all of that dirty bathwater to come to a place where my heart was open and in faith I could pray for this young man's healing, believing that God had the capacity to do it if he apportioned it to be so. And in this particular situation, God did that. Right here we are 12 years later, no cancer. Praise God for what he did in that particular situation. But I would contend that even if God hadn't chosen to heal him that day, that there was something spiritually vital and blessed for me to push through the dirty bathwater and to open up my heart and my mind in faith to what God may choose to do that day. And so I want to encourage you, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are copious amounts of dirty bathwater that the enemy has put all over this, this area. But the beauty of the baby, of God working through all of the gifts that he has given in order to impact people's lives is worth us holding on to. I, I could go on about this forever, and I haven't really done an academic understanding of why the gifts continue and, and why we shouldn't understand them to have ceased. If you want that kind of treatment, I can send you that kind of thing. Uh, but for the sake of time, I really need to move on to our application today, uh, which is this. 
be a part of the body. That's our application as we're talking about spiritual gifts today. Be a part of the body. So many times when we hear messages about spiritual gifts, the application sounds like sign up your name on one of our slots. Right? You ever been a part of a teaching about spiritual gifts that felt a lot like, okay, we got all these slots as a church. You were taught about spiritual gifts. Now get out there and put your name on one of those slots. Friends, there is something far larger at stake than filling slots here. Because God doesn't view us primarily as an organization with slots to fill. God views us primarily as a family coming around the table who he has given gifts so that we will build each other up around that table with the gifts that he has given to us so that we will care for each other and help each other to know Christ more around that table. That's why he's called us into the body, right? Romans 12 talked about us as being members, hands, eyes, is a part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, if we continued reading, would get into that same metaphor about being a part of the body. Why has God called us to be a part of the body? So that we'll use our gifts in order to care for each other and build each other up in faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 says, why has he given us gifts? Why has he called us into the body? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God's called us to come in and get into close relationship with each other so that we can use our gifts to care for each other and to help each other grow and disciple each other. That's his call on our life. I'm going to use an illustration that if you push it too far, uh, we'll break. But uh, think about your own body. When there's a need in your body, generally, how is it met? If I have an itch on my left elbow, what happens in that situation? Right? There are messages sent along the neurological pathways to my brain that says, we've got an itch down here, better do something about it. And how does the brain deal with that itch? Does it then send messages down the neurological pathway that say, okay, itch gone, No, the brain communicates to the right hand over here. Get over there and scratch the itch. And I would contend that is the primary way that God works within his body. God works by using the body to care for each other, to help each other grow, to share the message of the saving work of Jesus. How, How does God bring his saving message to people? Is it in the clouds? No, he primarily uses us as parts of the body to communicate that message. How does God care in the body? Does he do it directly? Yes, there are ways in which he does it directly. But he also primarily wants to call the hand to get over and help the elbow. That's his desire and his design for us. And so today, as we close up this message, my call to you isn't to get your name on the slots for this organization. My call to you is to prayerfully think about how you might be deeper in community here. Because God sees us as a family. He's given us gifts so that we can grow together as a family. If we're disconnected or even partially disconnected from the body, then we are cutting ourselves off from the growth and care as God designed it. And so he's called us to be in connection, intimate connection with each other as a part of the body. What does that look like in your life? 
I just invite you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask the Lord that question. Lord, what, what does that look like in my life to be more intimately connected with your body, more relationally connected so that my gifts can impact the lives of others and their gifts can impact my life? Maybe you're a person who's only been interacting with the body on a Sunday morning level. Quick in, quick out. And God is calling you to extend that, to spend more time getting to know people. Maybe the Lord is calling you to be a part of a life group, core discipleship, celebration, celebrate recovery, a ministry where you are more deeply connecting with people in a way that you can care for and help them grow and they can care for you and help you grow. Maybe it does mean joining a serve team where you grow together with others as you serve in some capacity. Maybe it means something informal. You're going to have people over to dinner regularly in order to just get to know the body of Christ more and share your gifts with them and them with you. What does it look like in your life? If you're saying, I, I want to get more connected to the body of Christ, but I'm not exactly sure how, there's going to be a table right outside the doors when we're done. And Autumn and Lily and I will be at that table and we would love to help you connect in a deeper way with our community here today. We recognize we can only be a part of the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to spend some time remembering his goodness of calling us into his body through his sacrificial work now around the table. I want to invite you to prepare your hearts. Ready yourself. And when you're ready, you can make your way to one of the tables in the corners of the room and grab the bread and the cup and bring it back to your seat. And I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in just a few minutes as we celebrate what God has done in order to bring us in to be a part of his family, his body, his community. We're so thankful for it, Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's worship our Lord together. And when you're ready, you can make your way to the tables and grab the elements.